Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is the Colin McEnroe Show. It stands to reason that I'm Colin McEnroe, and this is Alan Doyle and the Beautiful Gypsies. When I say one, two, you say three, four, one, two, three, four. When I say one, two, you say three, four, one, two, three, four. Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raised the roof, now we're lowering the floor. The band is bistry, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four, one, two, three, four. Something that you shouldn't try to do. Don't do it for me, man. Do it for you. Everybody, your manners are behaving yourself. But there's still a lot of bottles left upon the shelf. Wear my little whistle now and give a dog a bone. I can keep it up and I just can't do it alone. No soldiers at my side. It's you and me tonight. Whiskey, whiskey. The singers get sore. We raise the roof now and lower in the floor. The band is blessed, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four. Say 
I'm in studio right now with Alan Doyle, a man whose voice uh, has been in my ears for many, many years now, uh, first with Great Big C and now as a solo act. But he's he's what they call a, a polymath, too, a jack-of-all-trades. He's got a memoir out called Where I Belong. Uh, he's a, um, I just watched your acting reel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I, I saw you in, in Robin Hood as Alan and Dale, although I don't think I really, when I saw Robin Hood with Russell Crowe, I don't think I thought, wait a minute, is that the great big C guy there? Are you an actual, are you a good archer? I am now, yeah. We did, yeah. we did so much training for that movie. It was super fun, man. It was like a boys' camp. <laughs> we went to Russell's farm with a bunch of the trainer guys, and the, our schedule was amazing. Yeah. It was like horse riding, 9 to 10, archery, 10 to 11 break and then flight training and then more horse riding and archery. It was really cool. It was so really you're, you're a killing machine now, basically. Um, you know what? I got to be fairly good at it. Un- I thought I was awesome at it until I got to set and saw the real archers <laughs> and went, oh, right, I'm just an actor. And even the horse riding part was even funnier, of course, because, you know, I lied to get the gig. And when I, when I was asked <laughs> by the people in the movie, I assume you can ride horses. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I said, yes, I'm from the sweeping plains <laughs> of Petty Harbor, Newfoundland on the coast of Canada. Like, you know, of course we have... I don't know if there's ever been a horse in my hometown. I don't know where they would they would have to have two legs shorter than the other two because it's so hilly. <laughs> but uh, it was it was a, you're right. It was a remarkable experience and uh, a real blessing to uh, to get to do something with so many people who are so talented in completely different walks of life. You know, to put a movie like that together, it takes amazing actors, of course, and amazing. Uh, writers and then there, but there's horse trainer people and costume people and and stunt people and mm-hmm. just a real blessing, man, to get to hang with them for a few months. It even looked like you were shooting flaming arrows at one point. We were, yeah. We had a whole bunch of stunts like that with flaming arrows and and we got you know we, we actually got good enough at it so that we kind of saved them a pile of money in post production because they used to have they have a camera like on a quad or something riding around in the middle of a fight thing, right? With a plexiglass front on it, and we just shot the arrows at the camera so they didn't have to draw them in and stuff. Well, that's great. Well, yeah, the, cool. It's Ridley Scott, so he's going to make you do some of these things. He's right? a very cool man, I must say. and uh, he, he, I learned a lot from him, but the biggest thing was, um, you know, you never stop learning and you never stop trying. And if you want to, you know, I don't know if anybody worked as hard as him. Mm-hmm. You know, he was there excited every single day and just, you know, very clear indication of like, you know, if you love what you do, then you never have to work a day in your life. Now, did this happen because I know you've worked musically with Russell Crowe, yeah. right? He has a whole musical That's dimension. That's right. Yeah. I met Russell first in uh, the early 2000s when he was in Toronto doing a movie called uh, Cinderella Man. Mm-hmm. And then, it's a uh, great movie, isn't that, it's, It was one of my favorites, yeah. And then previous to that, he had heard about Great Big C mm-hmm. through Kevin Durand and a couple of the actor friends of his when they were up doing a hockey movie in Canada called Mystery Alaska. So by the time he and I met... In the most Canadian of fashion, backstage at the National Hockey League Awards show, we were both giving out a trophy. He had heard of Great Big C, and so he was about to do another record with his band in Australia. And he asked if I would write a few songs, which we did, and I had a great time. And then he said, "You should come and produce the record." So I did, and uh, we actually toured a little bit with that band in Australia and France and a few places. And then, uh, you know, a number of years later, six or eight years later, he called me up one day and asked if I knew how to play the lute. And I said, <laughs> "Yeah, I can play the lute." You want to come to Australia to read for this, or come to LA to read for this movie? And I said, "What is it?" And he said, "We need someone. We need like an Irishy sounding fella to who can play the lute to play the musician in the Merry Men." And I was like, "I think I'd like to do that." <laughs> so it was cool. It was, I and mean, it was just like one of those things that, like, uh, I always say that I'm the luckiest fella I know. You know, that's just that's just one of those things that literally kind of just uh, came to me. You know, and 
uh, wonderful blessing, and it was great fun. Well, let's uh, hear a song uh, about somebody who's maybe not so lucky. Um, and, in fact, we've got the uh, Alan Doyle Orchestra, otherwise known as the Beautiful Gypsies, uh, in here in studio with us. It's called Laying Down to Parish. Set this up for us because this is one of these many happy, cheerful uh, Newfoundland uh, songs. <clears throat> Laying Down to Parish is a story of uh, an artifact that I found in a museum in the community of Fogo Island, Newfoundland, which is northeast coast, an island off the island of Newfoundland. Uh, that's, you know, on the northern part of that island, of course, is the edge of the earth, really. Um, it is, uh, you know, there's nothing but uh, Antarctica, or, or rather the, the north and Greenland, a few hundred thousand kilometers away or something. So it's an isolated place, and it's starkly beautiful, and they have a history of dealing with the harshest climate and, and doing it well. And in the museum I was in this day, I found an artifact, a gaff. And for seafaring people, they'll know a gaff is like a long wooden handle tool that might have a, a spike or a curve on the top of it that fishermen or sealers or mariners or sailors would use for a million different things. And I was told the story of how four guys left Fogo Island in the winter, went out onto the ice, and the fog rolled in, and the wind shifted, and they knew they were never getting home. So they must have been worried that their wives or families or moms or dads would never know what happened to them, because one of them carved into the wooden handle laying down to perish. And he carved their four names, and he set it adrift. And I thought, and a few weeks later, it washed ashore in Morton's Harbor, I think, and was brought over to the families of the missing men. And I just thought it was an incredible act of selflessness, you know, to think of other people at a time that must have been terrifying for those guys. And in the spirit of kind of bringing stories from where I'm from in Newfoundland and Labrador, to the world, I just thought this was one that had to be spoken to. So this song is called Laying Down to Perish. Well, living isn't easy Dying isn't hard When the hungriest days of winter Plays our wicked cards I'll not be called a quitter For I choose to take a leap The ice won't ever be broken Not by no man, not by me Now I'm laying down to perish And God knows where I'll go Now I'm laying down to perish I just wanted you to know I just wanted you to know I'll make my wife a widow, but I won't have a chance to show up. Be the candle in the window and foolish hope above the door. I've got no time for haunting the ones I've held so dear. So I'll carve the crudest message now before I disappear. And I'm laying down to perish. And God knows where I'll go Now I'm laying down to perish I just wanted you to know I just wanted you to know
so sad to pass to a lies beyond the snow. But to have you think I let you would break my heart and soul. So let there be a warm hereafter in the sweetest by night. Let my house be filled with laughter. Should I ever cross your mind? Now I'm laying down to perish. God knows where I'll go. Now I'm laying down to perish. I just wanted you to know. Now I'm laying down to perish. God knows where I'll go. Now I'm laying down to perish. I just wanted you to know. Wanted you to know. Wanted you to know. Well, coming back from that song, I mean, I think we maybe do have to talk a little bit about Newfoundland and about Betty Harbor. Uh, you've uh, chronicled this in your memoir, Where I Belong. Uh, you've referred to this place as a kind of Narnia. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, my hometown was a place like like many uh, fishing towns that are isolated in that they're, they're little harbors, right? There's no, in history, there was no roads going to them. You can only get to them by boat. I mean, now in my generation, of course, Petty Harbor was connected by a road or two, but it still felt like, and still feels like a complete little world of its own. And so it developed all, like, these towns, you learn how to, it has its own economy. You learn how to work in them. You learn how to play in them. You learn how to um, entertain yourself in them. So it has its own songs. It has its own culture. It has its own characters. It, has its, it kind of has its own rules mm-hmm. in the weirdest kind of way. And so when I, I moved out of there when I started going to university, and I moved to St. John's, the city in Newfoundland. And uh, and so I left it a long time ago, and it's out the craziness and the kind of oddities of my young life have kind of stewed in my own mind about how, what an unusual upbringing I had. Mm-hmm. And I talked about it in the book where I belong and what I discovered at, in writing it is that I had no idea how much my young life prepared me for my adult life. I mean, you'd think if you were growing up in a little fishing town in the, in the late seventies and early eighties, on the coast of Newfoundland, cutting out cod tongues on the wharf, helping the fishermen load and unload boats, you know, doing stuff that is very specific to that town. You you wouldn't think that that would prepare you for a life around the world, but it so and certainly did, you know, and the lessons I learned about hard work and teamwork and being a big part of a small thing or a small part of a big thing just have stayed with me for the rest of my life. So I just, I think of that as a, you know, a Narnia kind of uh, place that just it lives in my mind, yet is the most influential part of my adult life. Well, I mean, I think in terms of the ratio of people to dead giant squids, <laughs> I think you had an unusually high or a close ratio, we might say. Well, it's what I would say about Newfoundland, right, because it's, it's a sort of odd island right up in the middle of the ocean, and it's, it's the place where in the storyteller friends of mine, whether they're songwriters or playwrights or actors or movie writers or whatever, they always... You know, our joke in Newfoundland is that, you know, everywhere else on earth, you have to spruce up your stories to make them entertaining. (laughs) In Newfoundland, we have to dumb them down to make them believable because it is the place where the myths are true. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Right? It is the place where the Titanic sank. Mm-hmm. It is the place where giant squid wash ashore. It is a place where we have sea monsters. It is, you know, it is it's just, you know, it is a place that was too rough for the Vikings. They left. <laughs> and it was like <laughs> <laughs> pansies. <laughs> you know, it is that it, I, I feel really lucky to have grown up in a place that's so unique and so, um, you know, kind of uh, singular in its in, in its way, and also where the stories are are true. Well, I should say we have a large Viking uh, audience, and to those people, I just we, that was just a metaphor. I mean, he didn't really mean that about you. Oh no, I do, I do. I always it's, it's one of my greatest things about my, about my chest pumping as a Newfoundlander is like, weren't the Vikings there? Yeah, they left. They couldn't handle it. Vikings. Pfft. So you mentioned your job uh, cutting out cod's tongues, and this is right. in the book. Um, but that might be sort of a puzzling thing for a person. Is it so the cods won't tell what happened to them? Or uh, <laughs> go into a little bit That's more detail. Fair. That's a very fair thing. I, I talk about it in the book. I talk about how cutting out tongues, cutting out tongues, can I have your tongues, cod tongues. Like those phrases were so common growing up where I grew up, and everybody knew exactly what they meant. But, of course, it would be horrifying. for to have. I actually wanted to call my book cutting out tongues Mm -hmm. but thankfully the editor in toronto talked me out of it because it would sound like a horrible you know kind of act so but cutting out cod tongues the cod tongues are kind of a delicacy in the in the inshore cod fishery in newfoundland so it was that place where um the fish came ashore of course and they were handled one at a time Mm -hmm. by people so all the stuff got used you know the cod's tongues were cut out the livers the britches, sounds, sound bone, the fillets, the tails, the skins. So, and cod tongues were sort of the responsibility of the young boy. And they are exactly what they are. You sort of cut the the, the bottom part of a cod's head. I'm sort of drawing a, drawing a line along the bottom of my chin. And you can imagine if you cut out the, the piece of flesh under your chin and your tongue would fall out. That's the part we cut out. And it's, it's a delicious little piece of fish that kind of ends up the texture of like a scallop or something like that. And uh, we used to sell them. That was the boys' jobs. And... It was. It was. It sounds like hard work to be down on the wharf all the time when you're 10 years old. Working, mm-hmm. you can imagine people doing it now. But when I was a kid, everybody did it. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, it was the most fun, man. It just went down there because you kind of felt you made a bit of money first of all, but you also kind of and you were hanging around with all your buddies. But you also felt like you were an adult, like mm-hmm. you you were working with the men, and you got to hear them curse and swear and watch them drinking, and you know, and you were a part of the community in a way. That it's tough for to get kids to do now. Well, you know, you said actually, uh, growing up in Petty Harbor, that work was a very visible thing. Yeah. First, there's no pile of fish, then there's a pile of fish. Uh, there's no hole in the ground, and then there's a hole in the ground. And that when you became a musician, it was sometimes a difficult thing to explain to people back home that this was a job the way they yeah. thought of jobs. I, I mean, I, I actually still kind of sheepishly say at the border when they ask me what I do for a living, <laughs> I say I play in a band or something. I, I'm, a, I'm still afraid to say writer. Mm-hmm. Or musician or something. It sounds like my grandmother passed away a number of years ago, but she was a great lady. And she, one of her my favorite quotes from her, and she had many, was, Alan, honey, you still playing in the band? And I go, yeah, not working. And I go, no, not working. No. But that's, the, I mean, that's the, because I grew up in a family of musicians who all had jobs. And, right? this, is, yeah, and this is when you're, you're playing in a band that could fill a hockey arena, yeah. you know. Uh, which, in terms of Canadian measurements, I mean, yeah. what could be a bigger deal? Yeah. But you're not working. Yeah, it is. But that's that's that was the sort of the, the philosophy around music. Well, you know, and I grew up, I say, in an incredibly musical family of 
of you know musicians and singers that could have played in bands anywhere in the world, but they just never thought of it that way. Mm. They all went up and got up in the morning and Monday and went to work and did their various jobs. And on Friday nights, they played for the concert or they played for the dance or they played for the fire hall thing or they played for the church mass or they played for the... And it was just that was their the kind of musical hobby, even though I hate to call it that because they were so good at it. All right. We're, we're talking to Alan Doyle. Um, his book is called Where I Belong. Uh, his uh, band is called Alan Doyle and the Beautiful Gypsies. Uh, we're going to have the Beautiful Gypsies uh, come back and play uh, another song. They're going to be uh, playing. Well, actually, I'll let Alan introduce it. Let's do it. We'll do a. Uh, are you ready? Yeah. When I'm waiting for Corey. Corey's all like, I want to be in tune. There's always one. <laughs> There's always one. <laughs> Just one. That's right. There's always one person who insists on being in tune. All right, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So this is the song, uh, we'll pick it up a bit. <laughs> this is a song called I Can't Dance Without You, and it's, it's really just a tune I wrote with a couple of friends about my, my, my long-standing love affair with the people that come to, uh, come to see us play. I Can't Dance Without You. Well, there's a war in every heart there's a battle for every scar There's a wish for every star I know it's true I can't fly on one wing Without a word I got nothing to sing There's a jewel for every ring And I know it's you I'll tell you no lies I'll tell you nothing but the truth You give me tonight I'll give a lifetime back to you Whoa, whoa Without the moon, oh, 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 I can't dance without you. Oh, oh, you like a song without a tune. Oh, 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 I can't dance without you. I'm gonna need a little help. I don't know these steps so well My hand can't hold itself It takes two I know I can't keep the time Till your heart beats into mine Like the morning needs the night I need you Tell you no lies I'll tell you nothing but the truth You give me to that I'll give a lifetime back to you Oh, oh, oh Without the moon, oh, 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 I can't dance without you. Oh, 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 you're like a song without a tune. Oh, 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 I can't dance without you. Something so rare, it's something beautiful and true. Let the world disappear. Just let me stand in front of you, and I'll tell you no lies. I'll, I'll tell you nothing but the truth. You give me tonight, I'll, I'll give a lifetime back to you. Oh, 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 like the moonlight without the moon. Oh, 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 oh I can't dance without you. Oh, oh, 
That was Alan Doyle and the Beautiful Gypsies performing I Can't Dance Without You live from the studios of The Colin McEnroe Show. We'll hear more from them coming up right after this break. visiting with Alan Doyle. Uh, he's uh, here in Hartford right now playing at Infinity Hall. Uh, he's going to be touring with the Bare Naked Ladies. I can't, actually, it's Bare Naked Ladies, right? It's not the Bare Naked Ladies. I think so, even yeah. though I'm not totally, you know, I confess that uh, it's all, I always find it hard not to put a the, the, the is optional. before a band. I don't think you get fined. But Bare Naked Ladies have been friends of mine and, uh, and, and good supporters of myself and Great Big C and many Canadian bands over the years. And Ed and the guys have always been... Uh, you know, cool about taking people with them along the ride because they've been so successful and so internationally famous, and and they remain humble and and grateful people. And as I must say, I'm looking forward to that whole tour. So I want to go back to Petty Harbor for a second. Yep. I mean, not literally, but um, so uh, the amazing thing about this town, okay, little tiny town, which as you say, wasn't even connected to the land by roads until fairly recently in its history. But nonetheless, kind of a West Side Story situation, right? Jets and sharks. Yeah. Uh, uh, so talk about that. Well, Petty Harbor, the footprint of Petty Harbor is, you know, as you can imagine, it's like a horseshoe kind of town. That's where all the houses are hung off the steep hills that lead to the ocean. And... No, a lot of these towns in uh, Newfoundland history, especially down the southern shore uh, of the Irish kind of settled part of uh, Newfoundland, uh, you know, a fisherman from a Catholic fisherman from the south, you know, east or west coast of Ireland came around the same time as a guy from, uh, the, you know, a Protestant guy from the south coast of England came. And they all came. And, and it just so happens that Pity Harbor is split by a river. And they said, how about you go over there and I'll go over here. <laughs> And I think in the in, in in the course of history for most other towns, those two communities 
grew together quicker. Mm-hmm. But in Petty Harbor, they're divided by this river. <laughs> so what, even by the time I was a kid, there was no kind of social um, you know, animosity between the religions or anything like that. But for a generation, or certainly two generations before mine, like in my grandparents' time, it was a big deal, you know, to socialize with the, with the Protestants. And the, the, one of the most sort of obvious things about religion and the footprint of it when I was a kid is that the town was actually kind of mirrored. We, on our little side, this is a town of 500 people. Mm-hmm. On our side, on the Catholic side, we had a Catholic fish plant. We had a Catholic store. Maureen's. Yeah. We had a Catholic uh, church, a school you know, and then you flip it over, the mirror image on the other side, exactly the same things for the Anglicans on the other side, which is ridiculous. You think about it in history, that that was the way it is. But and but that was the way it is. And and, and like I, I try to get across in the book and in some of my songs as well. It's like in, in, in Newfoundland, and I don't think it's unique to Newfoundland, but in small towns, especially small towns that are isolated and have been in one place for a long time, you do things just because that's the way they've always been done. And, you you know, you never pause for a moment to think about wouldn't it be cooler if we had one big store that looked after everybody? But you didn't, and and it's just it's just a beautiful thing in a way that something is so frozen in time. And and I mean the footprint, the physical footprint of the town is almost identical today as what it was when I was a kid. Right? It's not like there's no highway where there once wasn't one. There's no mall where there used to be just a shop. You know, it's just it, it it's it's a it's a wonderfully frozen in time place for me. Do people ever show up there and say, is this where, show me where Alan Doyle grew up? All the time, apparently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. I wonder if I'm driving the locals cracked now because uh, I hope I'm not a source of <laughs> annoyance or embarrassment to them. Uh, no, I'm there quite a bit myself. I was just there a little while ago, and I think, I, I really get a sense, and I hope I'm not being boastful or foolish, but I, I get a sense that they're happy for me and happy that uh, the story of the town is out there for people, and they, they're they're. I think they feel a little uh, a little grateful that someone at least captured a little moment in time. Well, you got to tell at least give us one little vignette from um, from Betty Harbor, uh, where I belong, is full of them. But since we mentioned uh, the store, so uh, this is uh, run by a woman named Maureen. Yeah. Who, and when you have kind of a captive audience, like where else are they going to go buy anything? Well, first of all, the rule was you you really had to go to Maureen's, right? You couldn't turn left instead of right, or right instead yeah, of left. Yes, so I'm, right. I'm glad you brought her up because it, it gives me a chance to paint a more a more. Uh, round and a complete picture of her because I was a little worried after I released the book that I, that I, I might have suggested that my view of Maureen and, and her store was the way she was with everyone. And it turns out, of course, that she was an extremely charitable person in the community and helped dozens of families, uh, uh, you know, when they had a little bit of money and stuff and was an extremely good mom to her children. But when I was a kid, my view of the two sides of Petty Harbor were was sort of exemplified by the two stores. And over on the the Anglican or Protestant side was a store called Weir's store. And it was just beautiful. It was picture perfect. Like you might see in a movie set, this friendly thing. And over on the Catholic side was this other, this, the store, the Maureen store that was way much more unkempt and much more, uh, and she was a much more gruff character. Uh, when it, at least that's how she appeared when I was a kid. And, and, uh, it was just funny that we always went there and I never, until I was probably 40, <laughs> I never even questioned why did we go to that store, you know, and why did why, why didn't we go to the other store? But the same, but I mean, we're talking about the store, but we could equally say the same thing about the fish plant. We could mm-hmm. equally say the same thing about who I played ball hockey with. It's really funny. 
I, talk, I saw I, there was a, a photo, you know, like sometimes the local newspapers might print a photo, say, from 20 years ago. Do you know anyone in this photo? <laughs> there was a photo in the Telegram paper in Newfoundland from Penny Harbor, and it was 1979. And it was six kids playing street hockey, five guys and a girl, right? And I looked at them, and I knew everybody in it, and they were all, it was really funny, they were all kids that went to the Anglican school, and there was not a single Catholic person in it, and it was just so funny, because so, that's what we did. We played street hockey or ball hockey over on one side of the harbor, and they would play on the other side, and we almost never played together. <laughs> when we did, it was like a summit series or something, you know, it was like, it's just really funny how, how, the, how the physical footprint of it uh, kind of lingered on and the physical footprint of the divide of religion lingered on in my lifetime you know it's incredible all right we're going to uh, have uh, alan doyle and the beautiful gypsies play another song uh cory tedford and uh, kendall carson are part of what you're hearing alan doyle is the uh, lead voice uh, on all this and uh cory tedford has changed into a t-shirt that says two more songs and i'm going down to the bus so um i think is, th- is today the day you're running 16 kilometers is that today no thank god it's tomorrow that's tomorrow yeah <laughs> Course training for yet another triathlon or some god awful thing like that, and so your life is not rigorous enough as it is. Exactly. All right. <laughs> so uh, what are we going to hear now? I brag because we only have one Newfoundlander who's really in fit shape, <laughs> that, so we have to brag about. <laughs> I thought we'd do the title track from the So Let's Go record. Uh, since we're talking about being active, getting on the go, this is a song um, really just about um, taking advantage of a night that you might be given and uh, knowing that your time is short, so you might as well make the most of it. So let's go. Watching the sand fall Get you nothing like the hands on the clock wall Oh, I love it when you're standing up so tall And all you are is all aglow Here we are in our own space Not believing every bright smile that I faced Keep them coming cause I'm feeling the same way Turn it on and off we go so long We lead and we follow tonight till tomorrow We go and we go to where gone So let's go oh, 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 So let's go oh, oh, oh. So let's go Oh, 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 oh,
calling We're only here for so long We did and we follow Tonight till tomorrow We go and we go till we're gone So let's go The song was So Let's Go. The musicians are Alan Doyle, Kendall Carson, and Corey Tedford. we got to take a break right now, but we'll return with more music and conversation right after this. Tongues? That's a job you can get? For me, it's just a hobby. Today's show was produced by Lydia Brown with help from me, Kyone Wolf, and Jean Amatruda. Our interns are Dan Schultz and Sarah Flaherty. The part of Bill Curry was played by Russell Crowe. For show pages, articles, and photos of the Faith Middleton Show staff sitting on a curb in New London at 2 in the morning singing sea shanties, visit our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. On tomorrow's show, the nose wonders how affectionate you should get with your robot. And now... Back to Colin. We're back with Alan Doyle. Alan Doyle's in town. Um, very exciting for me. I mean, I really have been a, a big fan for a long time, and A Great Big Sea has been a, a terrific band for me. And uh, well, first of all, you should say who these other two musicians. Yes, it's uh, my old friend Corey Tetford playing the guitar and the mandolin over there. A wonderful singer from Newfoundland. Known him for a long time. And over on the fiddle is uh, Kendall Carson. I met Kendall a long time ago as well. She plays with a bunch of people, including myself, and she just got off a tour with John Prine. And she plays with Elvis Costello sometimes in a whole. She's she's amazing, and it's a, it's a wonderful. The whole beautiful Gypsies is a really all star band of my musical friends that I met over the years. And we, when we go out on these shows, we do some songs from my records, some songs from the Great Big Sea catalog, some traditional Newfoundland music, and some fun covers. It's just all all geared towards making the greatest kitchen party of your life. <laughs> Actually, Alan, you've got a song from Great Big Sea that's about a kitchen party, right? It's called Going Up. Let's listen to the recorded version of it. Oh 
I just want to talk a little bit about the music itself. So when I first started listening to Great Big Sea, it was hard to put a name on it. You know, it's yeah. sort of Newfoundlandicana. If there's Americana, maybe there's Canadicana, Newfoundlandicana. So, but but so it's sort of roots music, and then there's an overlay. I mean, the songs that you're playing today, which are newer songs and uh, newer compositions, have a little bit of an alt country feel to them at times. Yep. And and so I mean, it, it's category defying music, but there there is, I take it, a Newfoundland sound, right? There is a sound. Well, Newfoundland. The part of Newfoundland that I'm from, especially, was really defined by the the more Irish and Celtic uh, people that settled there. So, like when I grew up, accordions were much more common than guitars, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, um, and but all that said, much like parts of Ireland too, Newfoundland is a song place. Mm-hmm. Like if you compare it to say Cape Breton Island, where there's a huge tradition of fiddling and and uh, instrumental music, far greater. A thing in Newfoundland is songs and songwriting and stories and local songs uh, because most of those little fishing towns like mine didn't have libraries. They didn't have local newspapers. You know, people's history, uh, tragedy, rise and fall and celebration all got recorded in song or story, you know, and that's – so we sort of did it ourselves and made your own entertainment and that kind of thing. And I think in my own – in my own music, I always – I was very lucky to grow up in that in, in that sort of influence because I always looked to my own backyard first. I never tried to sound like I was from Chicago or I never tried to sound like I was from London, you know. Mm-hmm. I said I was totally happy singing songs about, you know, you know, you know, f- fishermen's gaffs and uh and Captain Kids and 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 uh you know, drinking whiskey and singing at the at the, at the local place. So that was always good enough for me. You know, I was the most honest thing I thought I could bring to people. And and I was because I was born into a place that sang its own songs. I was never afraid to do that way. 
I think one thing that you did, and I'm, you're not the only person to do it, but uh, one thing that you did, it's not surprising to me that you have an a- acting career now. And we should say it's not just in Robin Hood. You've been in a bunch of TV shows, and I couldn't even figure out watch, watching your acting reel <laughs> what all these different things were. But uh, but you have an acting career. But it seems to me that one of the things that you did sometimes was take traditional songs or traditional sounding songs and emote them more than yeah. one typically might. Like I went was last night just getting ready for this. I was listening to sing General Taylor. Well, that can yeah. be done, you know, as this very funereal march in a very almost sort of ritualized way. But the way that you sing it, you, your voice is quite full of emotion. Yeah. It seems as though every time you sing, you're kind of acting. Well, I was really blessed when I started in Great Big C, of course, to work with John McCann and Bob and Daryl, who knew far more about traditional music than I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew a lot about sort of Irishy, like Clancy Brothers kind of uh, Irish music, because that's what my my father and my uncles all played. But those guys, John and Bob and Daryl, knew way more about Newfoundland music, way more about different, you know, British Celtic bands, and and so I learned so much from them, and I'm eternally grateful to them. And but I, I think one of our things we wanted to do was we wanted to reinvent some of the Newfoundland songs and write songs that sounded like Newfoundland songs, but yet make them usable for the places that we were playing. And, of course, our entire apprenticeship was in the pubs of Atlantic Canada. So if you're singing General Taylor, you can't do it like you're in the back of the folk library with patches on your sleeves, <laughs> you know, discussing the, uh, you know, mm. the economic impact of the, so, you know, you've got to blow the guts out of people, you know, because you're competing with all the other awesome stuff that happens in a pub, mm. right? So they had to be kind of over the top and they had to be kind of energetic and they had to be, you know, in your face for lack of a better term. So that they just wouldn't work. Like we, we wouldn't have got away with it unless they were excited. And, and so that's I think that's what – to live up to the energy that already lives in an Atlantic Canadian pub, you've got to be on fire by the time you hit the stage. And, so that, and that was how Great Big C learned. That's where, that's where we kind of cut our teeth. Well, it's been so great. I mean, it really is an honor to have you here in the studio. Oh, pleasure. Uh, Thank uh, you. When I, when I heard this was possible, I said, absolutely. We are totally doing this. Alan Doyle. Uh, first of all, mention uh, the name of the newest CD. The new record is called So Let's Go. I'm touring a bunch in the in Canada in the next few months with uh, Bare Naked Ladies. But then right after Christmas, I'm back down here in the U.S. Uh, all the dates and stuff are on alandoyle.ca. You'll right. find me. And I'd love to see you. Thank you so much. And so we've come to the part of the show where I make uh, musicians play songs they haven't played in a while. I did this, <laughs> I did this to the Winter Bills. They were here. And there's a song that I listen to by them when I go to sleep. And they hadn't played it in like 16 years. But they played it. Uh, and I fell asleep. So that's not going to happen now. So, you know, I mean, Alan Doyle, you're up here in Hartford, Connecticut. You really don't think of this as kind of the Maritimes, uh, not an oceanic kind of place. But in fact, Captain Kidd came all the way up the Connecticut River, and people look for his treasure one town north from here in Windsor, Connecticut. That's there's this little island in the river where people think, uh, of course, they look for his treasure everywhere, basically. He got around, didn't he? Yeah, he he did. So I've been walking around the house for the last 24 hours, annoying my significant other by singing this song. So uh, we're going to go out with uh, Alan Doyle, without the beautiful gypsies, because they don't know this song, uh, playing just a, a little bit of Captain Kid. My name is Captain Kid, as I sailed, as I sailed. Oh, my name is Captain Kid, as I sailed. My name is Captain Kid, and God's laws I did forbid. And most wickedly I did as I sailed. My father taught me well to shun the gates of hell, but against him I rebelled as I sailed. 
He shoved the Bible in my hand, but I left it in the sand, and I pulled away from land as I sailed. My name is Captain Kidd, as I sailed, as I sailed. Oh, my name is Captain Kidd, as I sailed. My name is Captain Kidd, and God's laws I did forbid. And most goodly I did as I sailed. I murdered William Moore, and I left him in his gober 20 leagues away from shore as I sailed. Oh, and being crueler still, that good kill oh, his precious blood did spill as I sailed. My name is Captain Kidd, as I sailed, as I sailed. Oh, my name is Captain Kidd, as I sailed. My name is Captain Kidd, and God's laws I did forbid. And most wickedly I did as I sailed.